from Loyola University Chicago School of Law and WLUW, this is The Pavocate. We're law students exploring the vanguard of the legal world with experts from our backyard and beyond. Subscribe to The Pavocate wherever you get your podcasts and join us every Saturday evening at 6 on WLUW 88.7 Chicago. For more information about this episode and our guest, please visit our website at thepavocate.com and check out our social media pages. Hi, listeners. Thank you for listening to The Pavocate. Today, we will be speaking with Dean Ellen Douglas, the Assistant Dean for Academic Success and Bar Preparation, and an adjunct professor teaching bar exam fundamentals. Every year, thousands of people in Illinois sit for the bar exam. The semi-annual tests determine which law students get admitted to the bar and which don't. Delaware was the first jurisdiction to administer a bar exam in 1763. It was an oral exam. Massachusetts, however, was the first to administer a written exam in 1855. By 1860, every state but two had a bar exam. Here in Illinois, uh, in 2022, the overall pass rate for the July bar was 68%. First-time bar takers passed at a rate of 77%, and repeat takers uh, passed at 20%. The overall pass rate for the February 2022 bar exam was 43%. The first time bar takers passed at a rate of 56% and the repeat takers passed at 36%. Enjoy. Where I always like to start uh, anytime I interview uh, folks is just like start with you. So tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh my goodness. Okay. So where to start? Um, Well, I recently joined the Loyola Law School community in a full-time capacity yeah. um, in the assistant dean role. But prior to that, I was um, I started in fall of 2018 in uh, the Bar Passage uh, mm. department. So I taught, um, or I have been teaching, I'm still teaching uh, Bar Exam Fundamentals and uh, have always really enjoyed teaching that class each semester. I'm glad to be back in person with everyone again this year. Um, and I guess the next most logical thing is to explain um, even what qualified me to teach that class as an yeah. adjunct, right? Yeah. So um, I am uh, one of the founding employees of Themis Bar Review. So um, I helped to launch that company in August of 2008. Yeah. Um, I dabbled in a little bit of each of those uh, in each area as most as most people who are part of a startup at the time do so a little bit of sales a little bit of operations Um, but where my passion and my love um, for kind of the industry came to play in there was more in the um, product development area so taking a look at what students needed to do um, to be successful on the bar exam and how to deliver that to them via the Themis course platform. Right. So um, I worked with some really stellar attorneys, um, attorney editors who would develop content. And then I would work with some really smart programmers to figure out how to deliver that to students. So over the course of doing that over many years, mm-hmm. I've developed um, a lot of uh, techniques, skills and strategies to help students be successful. And so then um, when the opportunity came to teach bar exam fundamentals, um, I actually co-teach it with Professor William Elward. So he handles the substantive law and I handle the skills and strategies that students need. So that's kind of my background um, and how that came to be right. uh, 
I came to be at Loyola sort of in that role. Um, and sort of along the way in my career, um, I did some academic success, some pre-law programs. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I ventured into the to the bar exam industry, um, working with Barbary back in the day in their law school prep division. So that was sort of a five-day boot camp ahead of time, ahead yeah. of law school. So um, I feel like most of my career has been dedicated to figuring out what law students need to do um, to be successful in law school and on the bar exam. Yeah. So when this opportunity came up, um, it seemed really like a really good fit. Yeah, no, that is awesome. And that's, you know, as I was uh, preparing for the interview, I did see you spent, uh, so you've spent nearly 20 years in the bar. bar I have, yeah. Uh, which is, which is incredible. So, you know, one thing I always, you know, since part of the listeners are, are students and, and law students, what sort of, as a law student, what made you then decide bar prep as opposed to being a uh, attorney? Yeah, what, um, yeah, what, so I, always tell the story. I never really went to law school to, to be a lawyer. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm going to date myself here, but you know, I, I, um, went to law school in the age of, you know, Allie McBeal and you know, all those really good shows. I'm not, yeah. I'm not sold that it was LA law, but you know, it, it, <laughs> um, but I, I never really pictured myself. I did do intern externships, you know, in the U S attorney's office. So I was in court and I, you know, did my moot court arguments and yeah. my appellate arguments um, but I was more interested in the academics mm -hmm. of law school and kind of studying the law. Yeah. Um, and when I got, when I was studying for the bar, I actually stumbled upon, I was a member of Phi Alpha Delta Law Fraternity when I was in law school. So mm -hmm. I would get their quarterly publication and I ended up seeing a job post um, for a director of chapter operations. And so right out of law school, I ended up, um, traveling around the country, um, working with law students to uh, to bring PAD, to bring Phi Alpha Delta to the law school to help them with programming. Part of that chapter programming was academics related. Some of it was networking related. Um, but in the course of that, I met a lot of people who worked in the bar, bar review industry. Excellent. And um, just started talking to them about, you know, what they did and how they helped students. And uh, it just seemed, you know, something that would something that was in my skill set. You know, it was a little bit sales. It was a little bit academics. Right. It was in the business of law, not necessarily the practice of law. So um, I did practice law. I did some family law work for a little while. But uh, when I stopped traveling for Phi Alpha Delta, um, I started networking and an opportunity presented itself here in Chicago. I was based in Baltimore at the time mm -hmm. um, and I jumped at it. And yeah. so I said, you know, let's try this out. It's Chicago. It's a cool city. You know, I like visiting there. This seems like a good opportunity. And that was the law school prep yeah. um, program with Barbary. Um, and then, you know, it was just something that I really enjoyed doing. I got into a little bit of bar exam tutoring and then the opportunity to uh, launch Themis came across uh, came across my desk. So, um, yeah, I feel like my my path just sort of became it came to life on its own. That is super cool. So you've been in the bar prep industry then for a while. So could could you tell us a bit about the bar? Like, where does the bar come from? Um, I see that Delaware apparently was the first state to, to first jurisdiction to have a bar bar um to administer a bar exam although it was oral so mm -hmm. can you speak a little bit about the history of the bar i actually i don't i don't know the the long history yeah. to it i know the more recent history with 
you know, the states having wanting to make sure that that lawyers are fit to practice law and can sort of have that licensure requirement, you know, kind of uphold uphold the tenets of of the of the law. Yeah. Um, it has been interesting to sort of see how it has evolved. A lot of states like Delaware, you know, Delaware is still unique in the sense that um, it has not really adopted any of the uniform bar exam or anything like that they still have, you know, um, a clerkship component um, to it. But the bar exam itself has evolved in the last couple of years to really keep that licensure requirement, you know, keep sort of uphold that need to say, okay, not just anybody can be a lawyer, you know, um, you need to meet certain requirements, but also lessen the restrictions um, of students being able, lawyers being able to go to other jurisdictions. Mm. And that is where that um, uniform bar exam has come into play, where so many students, so many states have adopted it um, and allowed for more reciprocity um, across the board. And then, of course, now I don't know how well versed you are in it, but there's the next gen bar that's coming out. Um, so the bar exam bar. Is, is supposed to is supposed to evolve again. Um, and one of the knocks on the bar exam is that doing, mul- you know, lawyers don't do multiple choice questions and essays all day. Right. 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 Um, and so it kind of ha- it gets the, you know, has the reputation of just being sort of this tradition that you have to do sort of, you know, I have but this hazing requirement to get into, you know, to right. get into the legal world. Um, so the next gen bar is hoping to make it more, um, more based in practical skills and legal analysis. So we're still learning what that's going to look like. Right. Um, I think there's, there's some information that's supposed to come out in the next couple of weeks, months to, to okay. talk about the question formats and stuff, but we'll see it. We'll see a new bar exam coming out here in the next couple of years. So really, wow. That's I did not know that. No, as I as I was preparing, I did not see uh, see anything about the next gen. Next yeah, gen that's um, slated for twenty twenty six. So it's a little it's a little far away, but it's something that we're already sort of looking at um, in the law school. Yeah, area. and do law schools and and people like yourself in in positions that prepare students for bar the bar review get input into the next gen? They've actually been. Um, the, the National Conference of Bar Examiners has been really inclusive. It's been a really, um, this has been a long time coming. It's been several years. There were a lot of roundtable discussions and focus groups and committees that were formed to study the um, the law that's mm-hmm. being tested even yeah. and kind of what subjects should be tested and what subtopics should be tested. So um, that's at least three or four years sort of the last couple of years happening yeah um so it, a lot of work has gone in it's not like somebody's flipping a switch <laughs> right now you know it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of background to it yeah. no that's awesome that is awesome so you touched on it a bit and you talked about the ube mm-hmm. and i know myself even prior to sort of uh, looking it up and so i have a better understanding i think but as a student, I hear the UBE thrown around or the MBE and or a state bar. And I'm like, I know some states have the UBE, but like, what's the MBE? Do I got to take that too? Right. How do I decide between the three? Are they all different? Are they the same? So can you explain the difference between the UBE and the MBE and, and a state bar? Okay, so the, the UBE is sort of the umbrella name. 
for mm-hmm. the bar exam and the and the uniform bar exam or the UB, I was I start um, always my lectures. I'm like, it's alphabet soup, everybody. There's so many letters <laughs> thrown in here. So the UBE is actually comprised of three components okay. um, that are taken by by candidates over two days. So that Tuesday. So the Tuesday day is comprised of what um, shorthand is the MEE or the multi-state essay exam. Okay. And that consists of six essay six essay questions that are on average about 30 minutes each. And then the second part of that, so that's, you know, you, you'll take that usually in the afternoon uh, mm-hmm. here in Illinois. Um, and so that needs to be answered in three hours. And then the morning is something we call the MPT or the multi-state performance test. Okay. And what that is, is it's a practice, it's like a, it's a legal writing assignment. Um, and it's two legal writing assignments. Uh, and you have about 90 minutes to do each of those. So you have three hours total to complete that component. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's day one of the UBE, <laughs> the MEE and the MPT. Yeah. Day, a lot two, of day two is the MBE that you mentioned. And that stands for multi-state bar exam. And that's divided into two sections. That's all the multiple choice questions that you hear people talk about. And you take a hundred of those in the morning and you take a hundred of those in the afternoon um, and you have three hour time blocks for each of those. So that breaks down roughly to about 1.8 minutes per question. Mm. So to answer your question on all those letters, the MEE plus the MPT plus the MBE. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. And then the state bar exams, in a state that has adopted the UBE, the state bar exam is the UBE. So, but the state bar examiners are allowed to admit, they administer the UBE, which mm-hmm. is written and distributed by the National Conference of Bar Examiners, mm-hmm. the NCBE, more letters. You're right. Um, but the state bar examiners have some autonomy to decide their passing score. Okay. And then some additional components that they may want. Sometimes they opt these to they they have the option of these to be more CLE related. After you take the bar exam, before you're allowed to get licensed, you have to do some online videos on state law or something like that. Um, some states actually have exams. So like New York, for example, administers the UBE as their state bar exam, but they have what's called the New York Law Course and the New York Law Exam. So those are additional components mm. that students need to take in order to be licensed there. So everybody who is taking the bar exam in one of these UBE jurisdictions is essentially taking the same exam, right? At the same time, same question, same MPT, same MBE questions, but there's sometimes a state component to it. Gotcha. Illinois is part of the UBE. Yes. Illinois is the UBE. So if I took the the UBE here in Illinois and then moved to New York, I would still have to take those two additional components, but I wouldn't have Correct. to really take the UBE. In addition to that, and that's that's actually a good example because Illinois and New York both decided on 266 as their passing score. Okay. So if you pass in Illinois, you're guaranteed to pass in New York. Oh, but for cool. instance, New York or say Illinois and um, Pennsylvania, yeah, Pennsylvania's passing score is 272. So even if you sit in Illinois, if you don't score a 272 Mm. on that, when you take that uniform bar exam in Illinois, you're not eligible in Pennsylvania. So you have to, you have to not only do those state components, but you have to make sure that you meet that requirement. Gotcha. So I suppose if someone knew that they wanted to perhaps practice at some point in another state, they should look at the requirements of that other state to make sure they get that high enough score. 
Absolutely. And then there's some other requirements with you only have so many years that your score is, is good. Uh, yeah. Um, and then there's the additional, the additional letters, the MPRE, that ethics uh, portion, that yeah. score is only good for a certain number of years. So, you know, I always tell people, if you think you want to take that score and, and port it over to another state, you probably have maybe two to three years to make that decision oh, before okay. things start expiring on you. <laughs> that is never any fun at all. But prior to coming to law school, I uh, worked in finance and I had several uh, professional designations. And, I was going to say, so you know the exams. Yeah. And if they, if one of those expired, it was a hassle to get it without, to get it reinstated without having to test, take the whole test again. Yeah. Just want to avoid those as, as much as possible. Now we know the MBE, the UBE and all the other alphabet soup, but there are other ways to sort of be admitted to the bar, albeit more difficult. So I figured out there are not figured out. So there are two other method methods, I think. So the apprenticeship method, then the diploma privilege. Ah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. so those are very, um, those are very state specific. Uh -huh. right? So there, there are some state bar examiners. So they call it reading for the bar or apprenticeship for the bar where you um, can be a paralegal for a little while, um, or you're working in the legal industry, and then you study for and sit for the bar exam. Yeah. So what they're not, so a lot of those states, it's not actually that they, that you're not taking the bar exam, mm -hmm. they're waiving the requirement that you go to law school. I see. A lot of times in those apprenticeship states. In the diploma privilege state, the most, the one that I, you know, know the most is Wisconsin, right? Yeah. In, in Illinois here. That is if you go to a Wisconsin law school and achieve a certain GPA, they say you're just automatically a member of the bar, you know, pending these other standards. Uh -huh. If you go to law school outside of, of Wisconsin, that's not an option for you. Well, fair enough. Heard it here first. <laughs> you can't go to Wisconsin and just be a part of the bar. No, no. <laughs> you got to take the bar exam there. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. And are they UBE state? They are not. They, oh. they do use some of those components, Yeah. Um, but they are not officially a UBE state. So you cannot take the bar in, in Illinois and wave your score in. Fair wave enough. Your score in. Yeah. So when should a student start preparing to take the bar? Oh, that's a good question. What do you mean by preparing? Do you mean actual studying for the bar? Or do you mean like thinking about what bar to take and the application? Both. Yeah, okay. all the above. So... The application process, I want to choose my word here. I, uh, the first word that came to mind was arduous, but I didn't want to project it as like too, it's not overly difficult. It's just a lot of information that you have to collect, right? Yeah. So I always recommend students start. I just did a session um, here at the law school yesterday during lunch, just kind of talking about the character and fitness application and when people should start. Um, so once you decide what bar exam you're going to take, and you really should know um, by the beginning of your 3L year, right? Fair enough. Um, and that's simply from sort of a logistical planning <laughs> sense, <laughs> yeah. right? Like you need, there's there's deadlines that you right. need to apply for the bar exam for. And some of those are as early as November, depending on, on the jurisdiction. So you don't want to miss your opportunity to, to take an exam somewhere. Right. Um, so you should really have an idea at least narrow it down to two or three um, at, by the beginning of your 3L year and start to look at, okay, what are the, what are the deadlines that right. I need to be aware of? I always say to start gathering your information 
can kind of start the application process probably about six, maybe eight weeks prior to that deadline. Okay. Um, and that's simply because, and it, it, and it varies, right? If you went straight through college and went straight through law school and really have like no problems with your financial history and, you know, don't have a ton of parking tickets, you didn't move a lot, <laughs> right? Your application yeah. and your character and fitness is going to be pretty short, but- nice. If you're a little bit older, if you were like me and you decided to move around each year, you, were in law school, <laughs> you have a little bit more information that you need to collect. Right. Um, so really, it's just a matter of going through and finding all those addresses and getting all that educational history together and getting all that work history together, all those you know, non-legal jobs and legal jobs and getting your credit check. And if you're in a jurisdiction that requires your fingerprints, it's just a long to-do list. And right. when you're balancing... And if you had nothing else going on, you could probably knock it out really quickly, right? right. But but who else, who who has nothing going on? Right, okay? right. Be honest, Marcus. <laughs> you know, like there's classes, there's, right. there's other things going on. So yep. start about six to eight weeks before just even looking at it and start pulling together, pulling together um, the information that you're going to need. Mm -hmm. um, and I always say too, it's better to maybe like lie to yourself a little bit and say, okay, if that deadline's February 15th, I'm going to tell myself it's February 1st, just so you're not sort of hard pressed to get all that information in. Right. And that all has to happen with the application for the bar. Right. There's the application and then there's the character and fitness and everything usually needs to be in by sort of that deadline date. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now I, for some reason, I always, and I guess I had just assumed that you sort of apply, you apply to take the bar, you pay the fee, you take it. And then afterwards is when you're like, okay, let me get you all my information. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> they want your information ahead of time. Ah, so in most jurisdictions, some, some of them, like um, some states have you come and do interviews and things, and that's done after the bar exam. Mm -hmm. um, but no, the actual, actual application and the character and fitness as a general rule needs to be, needs to be done and all in before, before you take the bar exam. That is fair. And I think that's, as somebody who just sort of went through that process was one of the only, in terms of thinking about the bar, as you apply for law schools, every application to the law school is like, make sure you tell us everything because they'll ask on the, the character and fitness uh, section of the bar. And if it's different on your uh, school application than it is on that, you'll have a, a discussion and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, you have to uh, amend your, you have to amend your law school application, but there's a whole process related with that. So oh, really? So yeah. it's not just like, we'll accept the difference. You have to go back and amend the law school application. No, you have, there's a whole, we have a process here at Loyola where you have to sort of explain why it wasn't disclosed on your law school application. There's a committee um, that evaluates and kind of talks about what you need to do in order to be able to amend your amend your application. Oh, wow. So um, it's an additional process if there is, and those things happen. You right. know, sometimes you forget about something. So it's not that people are, and I tried to explain this yesterday when I was talking to students. I'm like, nobody wants to stop you from taking the bar. Not the bar examiners with the character and fitness, not your law school. Um, it really is, you know, it's just addition, it's additional paperwork and we just want to make sure that everything, um, everything is in, is in order. Right. So I think students get very nervous and think like, oh, my life is over. I'm not going to be able to study for the bar exam. I'm not going to be allowed because you have, you know, it, you still need to ask. There's, there's more than likely it's, you know, you're going to have to go through the process and, and explain why you didn't, you know, you didn't do something or did something, um, and get the approval. Um, unless it's really terrible and then somebody might say, no, you're not. Gonna do that. <laughs> um, right. But, you know, it, it, 
the sooner that you come and talk to somebody and kind of figure out what you need to do in the next steps, the better. You don't want to be trying to figure it out February 10th when your application is due February 15th. Oh, uh, no, that makes sense. You know? So if you think you have any questions, they should come speak presumably to you. They can they can speak Start to me. Um, Dean Fott also does a lot with the with the with does, handles character and fitness. Yeah. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot of people here, you know, anybody that you have really as a mentor or right. a confidant here at the law school, um, I'm sure is more than willing to help you or put you, you know, in point you in the right direction. But yes, yeah. I mean, the first stop can always be me. That's what I'm here for. Fair enough. And I assume most law schools then have someone either in a similar position or just have that same process because right. yeah, that is interesting. So, and- but then I'll go back to, so then you asked about, st- so st- actual studying. Yes. Right? Yep, that was really. Um, I always say really depends. One of the first sessions, and I'm going to be doing sessions in the spring for the bar exam, um, for the July bar exam takers. But one of one of the first workshops I always really like to to address is sort of the time management and your study schedule and mm-hmm. when to start studying, right? Because there's a lot of factors that go into play. And um, you know, I was very lucky when I sat for the bar exam after I graduated. You know, I was. I was able to not work. I was able to study full time. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, 24 years old, 25 years old. I really had nobody to take care of other than myself. So that is a luxury, right? right. And if and if somebody is in that position to do that, then they can probably study, you know, eight to nine hour, you know, eight to nine weeks, right? Do the traditional bar review sort of schedule where you graduate and you take a week off and then you start your bar exam course and you study sort of straight through to July. If you're not in that position, if you want to continue working, you have to continue working. You have other personal obligations that you need to take, need, need to, to pay attention to during that time. That's where sort of scheduling out your days and figuring out, okay, how much time do I have to study each week and then back it out, right? To see when you should start your studies is really important because you don't want to assume that you have all this other stuff going on and you can start to study, you know, May 20th, right. because that's where you just start to run out of time. And the mm-hmm. further you get into that sort of hole of I'm behind schedule, the harder it is to get out of that hole. You're yeah. just getting deeper and deeper in that deficit. Um, but you can prevent that deficit from happening if you kind of pause and even just take 30 minutes to kind of take a look at what your life looks like from sort of March 1st through July 31st, right? No, that is, that is totally fair. That's one of the things I always thought about uh, as I was preparing for school. I watched a lot of YouTube videos and, you know, folks are studying for the bar and they're studying like eight hours, nine, 10 hours a day, nonstop for several months. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if I will be able to do that or not, or if I'll have to work or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, So no, that, that is certainly good to know to certainly think about it and be very mindful about your approach and not just sort of like, well, I'll wait till the end of school and I'll figure it out. And yeah, no, it's too late. That's why that's why I, I, that's the first, that's the first workshop that I'll do in the spring for the talk. No, that is, that is excellent. Is there anything a one L or two L should be doing just mentally or very specifically preparing for the bar? No, you know, that's a good question because everybody always says, should I take classes that I'm studying, you know, that are on the bar? My answer, my answer is no, take the, take the classes that your law school um, curriculum devises for you, where your interests lie, 
enjoy law school, take law school, learn what you can, you know, as far as legal analysis, take advantage of any of like the workshops that a bar passage or academic success department do. Uh um, And just be aware that that's happening. In some states, there are um, opportunities as a 1L to fill out to start your bar application. And there's a there's a uh, monetary incentive it's a little bit less money yeah um, and then by the time you get to your 3l year you just have to do an update so in jurisdictions where that's available if you know your state you're definitely going to be you know yeah. taking the bar exam in illinois then it's worth saving that little bit of money and getting that application like committing as a 1l right um so that would be really the only thing that i sort of would say hey that should sort of be on your on your radar okay but yeah no i think I think enjoy the law school experience and, you know, do your clinics and yeah. work your jobs and be part of your student organization. And then when you get to your, you know, get to your 3L year, really start to plan for it. Yeah. no. You can pick your bar review provider. You can test out those sort of things. You know, as you end your 2L year, you can take the MPRE and get that out of the way. Yeah. But, um, but really everything sort of comes to fruition at the beginning of that 3L year. No, that is that is good to know. I have two questions about sort of bar prep. One, I know we have like a so at Loyola and I'm sure other schools around the country have the same. Uh, we have the bar prep or the um, bar fundamentals course. And yes. as a student, you only ever hear about it. If you get if you do poorly in a class, you might have to take the bar fundamentals uh, course. Is that a course that people who are doing just fine in their classes, can they take it? And is it recommended? Like if it's something that you want to do. Absolutely. So, um, so actually at Loyola, um, and you can enroll in the bar exam fundamentals course or the bar essay writing course, um, whether or not, no matter what your, what your GPA is, if if you want to take the course, um, you are absolutely welcome to, to come, come to it. I would, I would love to see anybody. (laughs) I would love to see people in that course. So I highly recommend it if you can fit it into, if you can fit it into your schedule, right? Mm -hmm. It is, any of the bar courses that we have that we offer here at Loyola will help prepare you in a way that even if even if the only thing you take away from it is okay I know how I know what a bar exam question looks like I've looked at bar exam questions I have reviewed evidence again or I've reviewed criminal law again it makes things a little bit easier as you start your bar review studies right no that makes sense takes away some of that anxiety I imagine as well no that is fair the second question I had for you in terms of bar prep, could a, a student pass the bar without taking a bar prep course, either, either a third party or a bar prep course through the law school? Every year you hear somebody come back and say, I passed the bar exam and I didn't use a course. And then yeah. you ask that person, well, what did you use? And they say, yeah. I, bought, I bought the outlines off of eBay. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, then you use that course. Right. I no, I don't think so. So okay. and, and the reason being the way you need to approach the subjects for the bar are, is very different. Mm-hmm. The material is the same, right? The law is a lot. Torts is torts. Property is property. Secured transactions is secured transactions. Mm-hmm. But the way you approach it and have to answer questions for the bar exam is more than likely fairly different than what you did in a 1L, 2L or 3L class. Okay. So from the, and who couldn't benefit from even a review of that material, right? right? For sure. And you don't need to know everything. You mm-hmm. don't need to know 
everything in a way that you needed to do the deep dive in a 13 or 14 week course in the semester. Uh So by not taking a bar review course, you're really almost consuming too much information. Mm. Um, And you're really not, you're teaching yourself. You're trying to figure out how you're going to answer those questions and get the, and get in the necessary practice that you need. Mm -hmm. And you can cobble all of that together, but it is so much easier if you, take the course right and these are experts like you said yourself I've been doing I've been in the bar bar exam preparation space for 20 years yeah why wouldn't somebody and I'm not the only one right Right. at at these bar at these bar review courses and now you know I'm 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 here at Loyola but there's still my colleagues and friends that are still working in that industry have years and years of knowledge like why wouldn't you take advantage of that right. as somebody going through it and, and taking that bar exam? Yeah, no, that certainly makes sense. Which leads me, because one of the things that um, we learn coming into school, we had to take a, a um, like a webinar about financing and finances within law school. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they talk about is being very mindful about the costs of not only the bar exam fees themselves because they're expensive. It's not cheap to take the bar exam for sure. Yeah, but then also just like the bar prep courses and then of course paying for your life when you're not working if you're able to do that. Mm -hmm. So do you have any tips or tricks or recommendations on when and how people should think about the financing of all of this? Well, I think, I mean, Actually, maybe I lied earlier. So maybe this is something you need to consider way back in, in your 1L year, right? In your 2L year. Like think yeah. about your lifestyle and how you're spending money and where you're borrowing and know that, okay, if I need, if I, I have this expense that yeah. I'm going to need to pay for a bar review course, you know, that can be, I mean, making a decision earlier in yeah. your law school career, you know, end of your 2L career and the beginning of your 3L career can often save you some money um, yeah. on the total cost of the course. So um, that would be a consideration as well, but you, but you do need to understand that you need to set aside a certain amount of money and whether you start to plan that, you know, in your 1L year and put some money aside saying, okay, this is my bar review course money, or this is my bar exam money, it is a good way to do that. But really think about early on, how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to live, yeah. you know, groceries, housing, food, and, and the course itself. Yeah, no, that is fair. As a curiosity do you have happen to know why why some states some states are so expensive i think when i was looking illinois can be can be depending on when you register as high as 1450 yeah that's why you always want it that's why i said lie to yourself on those deadlines (laughs) earlier because you save a significant amount of money by applying by those regular deadlines rather than being a late deadline applicant yeah no for sure and then summer is low apparently south dakota is like 150 dollars which would be nice. Um, so, you know, if anybody's looking for a place to practice without having to spend too much money, go to South Dakota. <laughs> those, are, those are definitely some some considerations. There. You know, can do a little bit of a little bit of forum shopping there. South Dakota, though, is not a uniform bar exam state. So you uh, you got to plan for it, then, folks. You got to plan for that. Um, <laughs> and you have to want to live in South Dakota, um, which I've, I have friends that I yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, no, nobody come after me for that. <laughs> South Dakota is lovely. I have friends from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, no, I don't, I, I, I honestly, I, I can't wait. That'd be a great question. If you ever have the opportunity to interview um, some bar examiners. <laughs> the right. Why do these cost so much? Um, yeah, no, that's yeah. fair. No insight on like where that those fees go. Cause I, I'm, I can't imagine. That. I would imagine that part of it is probably some of the licensing, you mm. know, the licensing, probably the space that they have to rent to, to, to uh, actually yeah. administrate the bar exam, yeah. you know, um, here in Illinois, they rent out the the pavilion and the forum down at UIC. Those are yeah. huge spaces. So I would imagine it's just it's costs associated um, with that, and and to run and to run the the board of bar admissions itself, right? Mm, so that's fair. I guess all that stuff comes with costs. Yeah, and then you have the costs, you know, that you have to to, to keep your license every year and all uh, those too. So no, that is that is fair. And well, I have just a few more questions. So the first one that's kind of related, but within your experience and, and time within the bar prep and, and industry and, and now within working with law schools and certainly Loyola, do you know if there's ever been a discussion about making like the cost of the bar part of the law school tuition? Not the bar exam itself, but the school does have um, the funding set aside for your bar prep course at Loyola. Okay. That's good to know. That is good to know. And do you know if that's common in other schools or is, you know, it, it really varies. I think it's, it's more common now than when I went to school, but I went to school a long time ago. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I do think there's several schools that, that are doing that now, but not a, not a large number of them. Okay. No, that, that is fair and good to know. And one of the questions, because I, I certainly think you're in a unique position to answer it, how does a student, as they prepare, as they think about the bar and they are approaching their 3L year and, you know, trying to prepare, how do you evaluate a, um, a bar prep course and provider um, so that it works for you? That's a great question. I, um, my general advice to students is to, um, well, I'll back up. So I said earlier, you know, the law is the law is, is the law, right? right? you really can't vary too much on the subjects that are being tested <laughs> yeah. and the subtopics that are being tested. So when, you know, when people are like, oh, I'm going to take this course because they have, you know, their better outlines or the law is better. And yeah. probably like, unless the other company is making egregious mistakes <laughs> in their statements yeah. of law, I'm pretty sure the law is the same. Right. So it really comes down to what works for you mm -hmm. and kind of the, the method of delivery platform itself, the personalization and some of those additional services, right? Mm -hmm. So essay grade, graded essay feedback is always a huge one um, for students, right? How many graded essays are you going to be to submit and get feedback on? How is that feedback given to you, right? Some courses have the same person grading those essays so that they can see sort of the consistency of mistakes and consistency of improvement. Other courses, um, you don't necessarily know who's grading your essays or it goes to different people, right? So uh, those are the types of questions you wanna ask. There's a, a belief that that doing actual licensed questions helps helps prepare you better than, um, than course written questions. Mm -hmm. So you wanna ask those questions, like where do your questions come from? Who writes your questions? And then 
you know, it comes down to sort of the service that you want mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. You know, what sort of, what sort of skills workshops do they have? What sort of strategies workshops where, what resources are at your fingertips during the course? You know, how do you get your questions answered? Mm -hmm. Things like that are all, should all be considerations. Okay. Most courses have um, free resources that students can use while they're in law school, whether that's, whether that's the like study materials for their 1L courses or for the study materials for the MPRE. Uh -huh. I would recommend that students check those out and see what works best for them. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. So, okay, that's that is good to know. Uh, and then, like specific to the program that Loyola offers in terms of it being part of the cost of tuition, do you get to choose or which pro or do so we? The, so Loyola things? is um, contracted with Barbary Bar Review. Okay, um, but you do still get to choose. Okay, so um, you do have the option to opt out. But that is something you need to do very early on in your 3L year. Okay. Um, so you need to, if you want to evaluate the courses, you know, you need to do that sooner rather than later in your 3L year. Right. Um, and then go through that, go through that process of, of opting in or opting out to, to the course. Okay. Good to know. So that, I mean, that is truly good to know. Early in the 3L year, if you're planning on changing from Barbary, you have to make that decision to opt out. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is good to know. Uh, and then sort of one of the final questions that I'll ask, um, you know, as we, as a society and as a law school and as a community, continue to figure out what our new normal is after the pandemic, how has the bar prep industry has cha uh, changed uh, and how is the just taking the bar changed? And are some of those changes they made because of uh, COVID, will they stay in place? What's the future look like? So it's funny, so the, the bar review course industry really did not have to change too much for the pandemic since um, most courses are delivered online. Yeah. Um, most students opted to, to deliver them online. So I, I don't think that's necessarily changing. Um, the bar exam itself had to change to be delivered online, right. um, but now it's going back to the in-person exams. Um, so the the interesting the interesting thing there and some of the conversations that are happening now is that some of these bar uh, bar exam candidates, this is the first time they're taking an exam um, in a large space with other students, right? So that's yeah. one, of the, one of the effects of the pandemic, right? Everybody's been been doing their exams in like the privacy of their own home <laughs> yeah. or taking classes via Zoom. So um, the bar exam has sort of become this first time where you're sitting in a room with 900 other people and everybody's click clacking away. <laughs> right, right. Um, so that I think that is that's that's an interesting change, but yeah, th there was a short-term change in how the bar exam was administered, and now it's now it's going back to the in-person. Gotcha. And they, it, I imagine that there's not going to be an option to do online then. No, not to my knowledge. Wow. Okay. Well, I hope the best for all those, like you said, who are for the first time sitting in a space with so many people, click clacking away, coughing, just you know, there's always a sound. Earbuds. Somebody's doing something. Yeah, earbuds. Exactly. I took one of my professional licensing exams and it was in a big space and uh, there was somebody behind me. I don't know what he had going. He was like breathing loud, but also like it was I was like, it's so so finally I just had to make myself focus. But it was a lot. I always have my um, I sat for the Virginia bar exam after I graduated. I'm a University of Richmond grad uh -huh. and um, we had to take it our exam in a suit. You, wow, you had to take it in a suit. Yep. You had to come um, in in court appropriate attire. So 
So I sat in a large room, um, no computers though, because it was a long time ago, <laughs> and, um, but I was in a suit. So. Yeah, wow. That, uh, I'm, I hope they don't bring that back. Uh, I know there are Illinois, a lot of Illinois, you're good. Illinois, you just have to, you don't have to. Oh, good. Because I was like, I, you know, I know there are folks, again, as I was watching YouTube videos, people would go in suits because they wanted to be a certain way, I guess. Uh, but for it to be required is something totally different. Yeah. So, Excellent. Well, I don't have any more questions. We are good. I appreciate you joining us today on the Pavicate. Appreciate you having me as, as a guest. This is actually my first podcast experience. So. Oh, excellent. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure. We learned a lot about the bar and the bar uh, prep. Uh, and, and I'm sure uh, this episode will help a lot of students. That's all from us here at The Pavicate. Thanks again for joining us today. Our team wants to hear from you. If there's a topic you want the show to cover, please email us at thepavicate at gmail.com. Visit our website, thepavicate.com, for more information on this episode and our guest. The Pavicate is produced by WLUW, the student-run independent radio station broadcasting from the School of Communications at Loyola University, Chicago. Our editors-in-chief are Christy Paredes and Marissa Palowitz. Our associate editors are Neko Ugu, Marcus McNeil, Andy Vandenbush, and Casey Callahan. Special thanks to Professor John Dane and Dean Stephen Russian for providing the resources and support to make this show possible. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this has been The Pavicate.